33. Uh, if you prefer just to listen, that's fine. It's a very remarkable chapter. Isaiah 33, the whole chapter, page 718. Woe to you, destroyer! You have not been destroyed. Woe to you, betrayer! You who have not been betrayed. When you stop destroying, you will be destroyed. When you stop betraying, you will be betrayed. Lord, be gracious to us. We long for you. Be our strength every morning our salvation in times of distress. At the uproar of your army, the peoples flee. When you rise up, the nations scatter. Your plunder, O nations, is harvested as by young locusts, like a swarm of locust people pounce on it. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with his justice and righteousness. He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. Look, their brave men cry aloud in the streets. The envoys of peace weep bitterly. The highways are deserted. No travelers are on the road. The treaty is broken. Its witnesses are despised. No one is respected. The land dries up and wastes away. Lebanon is ashamed and withers. Sharon is like the Arabah, and Bashan and Carmel drop their leaves. Now will I arise, says the Lord. Now will I be exalted. Now will I be lifted up. You conceive chaff, you give birth to straw. Your breath is a fire that consumes you. The peoples will be burned to ashes like cut thorn bushes. They will be set ablaze. You who are far away, hear what I have done. You who are near, acknowledge my power. The sinners in Zion are terrified. Trembling grips the godless. Who of us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who of us can dwell with everlasting burning? Those who walk righteously and speak what is right, who reject gain from extortion and keep their hands from accepting bribes, who stop their ears against plots of murder and shut their eyes against contemplating evil, They are the ones who will dwell on the heights, whose refuge will be the mountain fortress. Their bread will be supplied, and water will not fail them. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty and view a land that stretches afar. In your thoughts you will ponder the former terror. Where is that chief officer? Where is the one who took the revenue? Where is the officer in charge of the towers? You will see those arrogant people no more. 
peoples whose speech is obscure, whose language is strange and incomprehensible. Look on Zion, the city of our festivals. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, a peaceful abode, a tent that will not be moved. Its stakes will never be pulled up, nor any of its ropes broken. There the Lord will be our mighty one. It will be like a place of broad rivers and streams. No galley with oars will ride them. No mighty ship will sail them. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. It is he who will save us. Your rigging hangs loose. The mast is not held secure. The sail is not spread. Then an abundance of spoils will be divided, and even the lame will carry off plunder. No one living in Zion will say, I am ill, and the sins of those who dwell there will be forgiven. Thank you, Michael. 100 years today, this very day, 26th of November, 1917, Russia, if you know your Russian history, Russia was in uh, political turmoil. So Lenin and his Bolsheviks had stormed the Winter Palace in St. Petersburg. Uh, They had seized Russian power. And on Lenin's command, 26th November, 1917, three Russian diplomats raised a white flag. They crossed German lines. First World War, and they began peace treaty negotiations with Germany. And that moment was the moment where Russia left the First World War. They had enough of war, they wanted peace, and the rest, as they say, is history. That day was a massive shift in power. The world hasn't looked the same since that day. And we're used to that. The world doesn't stay still for long. If I asked you who would be the superpower of the day, in 2117, 100 years from today, what would your answer be? I don't know who you'd go for. China, perhaps Russia again, India. Maybe a new kid on the block will rise up. We don't know. No one knows. The world keeps changing, and we don't know which way it will change next. And it's always been this way. So the book of Isaiah, we're around 700 BC, and these chapters are set in the context of massive shifts in power. Here are the main contenders for power. First up, we have Hezekiah, king of Judah. He's been on the throne of Judah for more than 20 years. He's watched the northern kingdom, Israel, fall. But Hezekiah's Judah has stood firm, despite massive pressure. But he needed help. Hezekiah needed to sign a peace treaty of his own, because pressure was coming in from king two. This is king Sennacherib, king of Assyria. If you've got a hat and a beard like that, you you deserve respect. And uh, this man was respected. He was king of over half the known worlds. He ruled uh, vast swathes of the ancient Near East. And he wanted more. He was knocking on Hezekiah's front door. He wanted Jerusalem. But there were two other kings in the game. Also punching above his weight was King Tiharka, king of Egypt. He He was a pharaoh. He was also king of Ethiopia and Cush. He held a fair bit of power himself. 
Now, we can't really be sure that he, he really was quite this rip, um, but uh, he certainly fought well. Ethiopian king who had conquered Egypt. So three key political leaders. But as we come to Isaiah 33, there's one more king we mustn't miss. He's a king who comes up again and again in this chapter, and his name is Yahweh. Every time you see Lord in small caps in your Bible, that's Yahweh, the Lord God, the King of heaven. And he's all over Isaiah chapter 33. Have a look down, verse 2, verse 5, end of verse 6, verse 10, verse 22, verse 22, verse 22. You get the picture. This is Yahweh, creator of the universe, commander of the heavenly armies, and the one who is very much alive and active in the shifts in power in human history. That's what we're going to see tonight. I've tried to keep this simple because all we've got here is a picture of a world that keeps changing, but a Lord who never changes. And we'll see that hope in the world brings fear, but hope in the Lord brings peace. That's where we're heading And the opening verse of this chapter captures the picture of a world that keeps changing. So Hezekiah, king of Judah, he's tried to run to Egypt for safety. He he made a peace treaty with them. That hasn't worked out because Sinatra, king of Assyria, has kept coming. He's still on a rampage. So where does Hezekiah turn next? As the reader of these chapters in Isaiah, you're crying out to him, go to Yahweh, go to Yahweh. But instead, Hezekiah tries to pay Sennacherib off. It's sort of the classic school ground, school ground um, scene where the bully is demanding the lunch money from the poor weakling kids. 2 Kings 18, it's up on screen to follow. We read, Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent this message to the king of Assyria at Lachish. I've done wrong. Withdraw from me, and I will pay whatever you demand of me. The king of Assyria exacted from Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the temple of the Lord and in the treasuries of the royal palace. At this time, Hezekiah, king of Judah, stripped off the gold with which he had covered the doors and the doorposts of the temple of the Lord, and he gave it to the king of Assyria. Now, that's quite a dollop of lunch money that's just been handed over there. These are desperate scenes, stripping the temple bare, to stave off an attack. And Sennacherib, he gladly took the money and then he attacked anyway. He ransacked Judah all around Jerusalem. But into that context, we read verse 1 of Isaiah 33. This is Yahweh speaking about Sennacherib. And he says, Woe to you, destroyer. Woe you who have not been destroyed. Woe to you, betrayer, you who have not been betrayed. When you stop destroying, you will be destroyed. When you stop betraying, you will be betrayed. There are eight lines of poetry which simply tell us the world keeps changing. You might be on top now, Sennacherib, but you won't be on top for long. You may be destroying Judah, but soon you will be destroyed. Babylon is coming. That's when Sinatrim gets in his comeuppance. You won't be top dog for long. But I was reading these words this week. 
couldn't help notice that these words are words about Assyria. They're about Assyria's treachery, but they're not words written to Assyria. These are words written to God's people. These words are for us and not for them. Isaiah spoke these words to King Hezekiah to say, it's no good. Egypt failed you, and Assyria have failed you too. Human treaties are not going to keep you safe. Do you hear that? These words are for us. Human treaties are not going to keep you safe. They're words which make you ask, well, what treaties have I made? In the shifting sands of this world, who or what am I trusting in? And here's how I think you know. Take yourself back to your last moment of crisis in life. Actually, try and pick a specific moment. Something disastrous happens. I don't know, financial difficulties, relationship turmoil, job uncertainties, health worries, broken down car, whatever it might be. You got your moment? Think about that moment and ask yourself, where did I turn in that crisis? Where, where did I go for help? Because in all likelihood, that is the treaty you've made. That's the one you're depending on. Five years ago, 18th October 2012, it's a day I'll never forget, um, I was standing at the check-in desk at Heathrow Airport. We're off to Kenya, holiday of a lifetime. But I had completely ballsed up. My wife and my daughter's passports had nearly expired and they weren't allowed on the plane. Moment of crisis. Where did I turn? My wife's parents were left sorting out the passport, and my grandparents were left offering to buy new flights. That was my treaty. In that moment, to my eternal shame, I didn't think to pray. It was as though I sort of got out the treaties in my life, rummaged through to see which one would work in this situation. And God wasn't on the list. You see, the world keeps changing. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And we try and make treaties to keep us safe. But notice the sharp shift in these verses. Verse 2, here the view completely changes. And we focus in on a Lord who never changes. So read from verse 2. We see, Lord, be gracious to us. We long for you. Be our strength every morning, our salvation in time of distress. At the uproar of your army, the peoples flee. When you rise up, the nations scatter. Your plunder, O Lord, is harvested as by young locusts. Like a swarm of locusts, people pounce on it. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with his righteousness, his justice and righteousness. He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. Verse 2, this is a big moment in Isaiah. We've had chapter after chapter of God warning his people. He's, he's been speaking to them and warning them of the fragile coalitions that they're making. But here, it's kind of like a, a sort of light bulb on moment. Here's God's people responding. And they say, we long for you. You are the only one who can keep us safe. Be our strength every morning. The morning was the time of peril. If an enemy was going to attack, they'll attack in the morning. So what is your morning? What is your anxious 
fear in life. The prayer here is that the Lord, Yahweh, King of heaven, that he would be the one who saves them in times of distress. And why? I love verses 5 and 6 here. Step, step into their world. Egypt were powerless to help them. Assyria had double-crossed them. They're surrounded by fragility and unfaithfulness. And so they remember, the Lord is exalted. For he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with his justice and righteousness. Do you hear that? Yahweh is a just and faithful king. No double-crossing here. He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. You hear that? The world keeps changing. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But Yahweh is a sure foundation for your times. He is a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. You see, King Hezekiah, he was relying on the stores in Jerusalem to last him out this siege. But those stores were running down and down and down. They were going to run out. Your hope and my hope will run out. My granddad died last year. Can't buy me flights anymore. My wife's parents are getting older. Harder for them to drive through the night to the Newport passport office to save the situation. But he, Yahweh, he will be the sure foundation for your times. A rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. And notice how the cry ends. How do we access this sure foundation? Verse 6, end of verse 6. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. That, that's so crucial here. You might be sitting there thinking, I know this, John. I know I find it very easy to turn to other things and and to try and find safety in them. I know they're going to fail me. I, I get all of that. How do I depend on the Lord? The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. It's a lovely picture. It's as though there's a treasure box there filled with salvation and wisdom and knowledge. It's all yours, but it's locked. How do you unlock the treasure chest? The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. That is a great verse, just just to take home, to, to mull over. Ask yourself, what is the fear here? Because it's not like the fear of Sennacherib, being, being afraid of this, this enemy here. That is a fear that leads to panic and slavery. But this is a fear that leads to awe and freedom. A friend of mine, uh, last week, or week before last, he went to see the pyramids in Egypt. And he had seen photos of the pyramids before, tiny little pyramids because the photo was taken from quite a distance. He'd heard me speak about the pyramids from when I went to see them years ago. But that, that was distant and detached. But a couple of weeks ago, for him, it became personal. He stood right next to the Great Pyramid. He, he, he touched something that was four and a half thousand years old. He, he walked up close to it. And then he sent me this text. He said, The pyramids are amazing. Truly incredible. 
Do you see, the awe comes when you approach. From a distance, just, just seems ordinary. But draw near to Yahweh. Hear his personal word to you. Catch a glimpse of his power at work in your life. Remind yourself of how he has and is blessing you, providing for you. And that is the moment that the treasure chest springs open. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. It's not a single moment. It's not one point in life where suddenly the treasure chest springs open and life is easy from there on in. All other fears fade away. This is a daily journey. This is a daily determination to draw near to the Lord, to delight in his treasure. We've got to turn that key every day. There's no quick fix for our folly. It doesn't mean we give up. It should drive us to our knees and cry out, Lord, be gracious to us. We long for you. Be our strength every morning, our salvation in time of distress. You see, the the world around us changes. Our hearts are pulled this way and that way. But Yahweh, sovereign Lord of heaven, he never changes. And it's the same pattern as the chapter continues. We'll pick up the pace here. But notice with me that hope in the world brings fear. That's what we see as um, we follow on from verse 7. Look at verse 7 where we read, Look, their brave men cry aloud in the streets. The envoys of peace weep bitterly. Seems to be the men that Hezekiah sent to Sennacherib to broker peace. They raised white flags, crossed the Assyrian lines in search of peace, but their labors were in vain. It's not safe to go out now, verse 8. The highways are deserted. No travelers are on the roads. The treaty is broken. Its witnesses are despised. No one is respected. The land dries up and wastes away. Lebanon is ashamed and withers. Sharon is like the Araba, that's a, a desert region. And Bashan and Carmel drop their leaves. It's, it's a picture of a, a once prosperous country fading away because the treaty has been broken. And so verse 10, Now will I arise, says the Lord. Now will I be exalted. Now will I be lifted up. You conceive chaff. You give birth to straw. Your breath is a fire that consumes you. The the peoples will be burnt to ashes. Like cut thorns, thorn bushes, they will be set ablaze. Now, chaff, straw, and thorn bushes um, share two properties. You can't eat them, or at least I wouldn't recommend trying. And they're all flammable, highly flammable. The image here is showing us that no matter how hard Judah work, they can't produce food for themselves. And no matter how much they talk, trying to form a treaty, they can't keep themselves safe. In fact, the image is that the the more they talk, the more their efforts go up in flames. Their talk is dangerous. On their own, they're helpless and fearful. Life apart from dependence on God is a terrifying place to be. Verse 13, you who are far away, that's probably Assyria, Hear what I have done. You who are near, probably Judah, acknowledge my power. The sinners in Zion, that's Jerusalem, are terrified. Trembling grips the godless. Who of us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who of us 
can dwell with everlasting burning. It's, it's a tragic picture because here are people desperately in need of help. But because of their proud independence from God, he's seen as an enemy. He's pictured as the one with the fire here, the one who loves them and longs to deliver them. They see him as a threat. It's a fearful picture, but that's a helpful picture to, to wake us up from our independence from God. Why does life feel so fragile? Because we live so much of it apart from God. Why am I anxious about the future? Because I see it as my future. I want to work it out my way. It's it's proud independence and it always leads to fear. Fear in life. Fear of death. Hope in the world brings fear. But the chapter finishes on a very different note. It's a confusing chapter because you'll have seen it. It sort of flits between words of fear and words of faith. And it can be hard to work out where we are. Words from God, words from his people. But actually, this is the pattern of our lives. We flit between fear and faith. Words from God, words we cry out to him. And we need to hear the the urging of these final verses. Verse 15, where we see hope in the Lord brings peace. Follow with me. Verse 15. Those who walk righteously and speak what is right, who, ex- who reject grain from, uh, gain from extortion and keep their hands from accepting bribes, who stop their ears against plots of murder and shut their eyes against contemplating evil, they are the ones who will dwell on the heights, whose refuge will be the mountain fortress. Their bread will be supplied and water will not fail them. You see, the link here is between faith in God and faith in his commands. You can't say, I'm trusting in Yahweh if we aren't trusting in his commands to be the best way to live our lives. Verse 17, your eyes will see the king in his beauty and view a land that stretches afar. In your thoughts, you will ponder the former terror. Where is that chief officer? Where is the one who took the revenue? The bribe paid to Sennacherib. Where is the officer in charge of the towers? You will see those arrogant people no more, people whose speech is obscure, that's the Assyrians, whose language is strange and incomprehensible. Look on Zion, the city of our festivals. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, a peaceful abode, a tent that will not be moved. Its stakes will never be pulled up, nor any of its ropes broken. Now we need to remember, Jerusalem is surrounded at this point. Assyrians are all around. God's people in Judah are seemingly in great peril. And yet God's saying, depend on me, live in obedience to my ways, and Sennacherib cannot lay a finger on you. You'll be a peaceful abode, a tent that, that will not be moved. It's a picture of peace. So there'll be no battleships in the city. That's verse 21. There the Lord will be our mighty one. It will be a place of broad rivers and streams. No galley with oars will ride them. No mighty ships will sail them. For the Lord, Yahweh, is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. It is he who will save us. And then the focus shifts to Assyria, verse 23. Your rigging hangs loose. The mast is not held secure. The sail is not spread. You see, it's, it's a metaphor here, but it's as if the warship that is Assyria has run aground 
and is now helpless and able to be attacked. The enemy of God's people is defeated. And we read, then, then an abundance of spoils will be divided, and even the lame will carry off the plunder. You see the victory? There's lo- lots of images in this chapter, perhaps uh, too many for a Sunday night, but there's just one message. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. That's all we're meant to get. Take our fear and striving to him. Find the peace that he offers. And just notice how wonderful this peace is. It's not just peace through the trials of this world. This is peace with the holy God. Peace into eternity. Verse 24. No one living in Zion will say, I am ill. And the sins of those who dwell there will be forgiven. How wonderful is that? Sins forgiven. See, God will defeat his enemies. He has defeated enemies of sin and death through the cross of Jesus Christ. So approach him. Draw near to him. Make make that daily journey. Gaze with awe and wonder. Heathrow Airport, 18th October 2012. It was my six-year-old son who taught me this lesson. As um, I went through passport control, leaving behind wife and daughter, tears rolling down my cheeks, my six-year-old son Noah, he said, Daddy, we've got to pray. You see, he, he had watched me try and fix the situation, pull out the treaties, who's going to help us here? Well, I wanted to fix it. It was my stuff up. But none of my talking made a blind bit of difference. Daddy, we've got to pray. And so, in the middle of Terminal 5, holidaymakers piling past with their sort of wheelie suitcases, the three of us knelt down and we prayed. And we cried out to the God of heaven, the only one who we can really depend on. Lord, be gracious to us. We long for you. Be our strength every morning our salvation in time of distress. Why don't we pray together? Loving Lord, we, we are so foolish. We cling to things around us each day. We know they're going to fail us, but We still cling to them. Forgive us. And Father, please, that that fear of you, which is the key to this treasure, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge, we long to feed daily on that rich store, to depend on it, to enjoy it. Your Son came that we might have life in all its fullness, so... Teach us this daily dependence on him. Help us to hold firm to him through this life and into the eternal life that you have prepared for us. We praise you for Jesus in his precious name. Amen.